Before I go into it, I, I do want to share a little bit about my childhood. So I don't know if, I think some of you guys know this already, but I was bullied a lot in elementary school. And I actually can't identify one friend from first to fifth grade. So I don't know if any of you guys are parents or teachers, but imagine your kid going to school and having zero friends, right? So like at lunch, I didn't know who to sit with. During recess, I didn't know who to play with. And my mom tried to rectify that by having me pass out candy. And so I remember there were a few days where she just gave me like massive amounts of candy. I go to school and like, be my friend, here's some M&Ms. You know, be my friend, here's some Skittles. And they would take the, f the, the candy, but then they would just kind of run away. And um, a lot of why I didn't have friends was attributed to this guy named Michael. So he was uh, a bully and he kind of like, uh, got all the kids to bully me. And so that was a large part of like years and years of my elementary school life. So maybe one of the more distinct memories was um, just kind of like <coughs> being chased. I, I don't know how to say this without crying or laughing. So I'll probably laugh and smile a lot on the outside and cry on the inside. And so uh, anyways, we're, I'm being chased around in elementary school by like maybe 15 boys uh, led by this guy named Michael. And then they would surround me. And then one of them would like bend over behind me as another one like pushes me to the ground. And then we just do that for half an hour. So that was our, our game. And then I think more subtly, like when I wanted to play with uh, kids for like uh, tetherball or handball or tag, he would just kind of like tell the kids not to play with me. And so I'd just, hey, let's play tag. And they're like, no, go away. And then one day, though, I made this really good friend named Aaron. And I remember my mom was super happy because I would come home and i like, this one kid plays with me at school. And she was like, amazing, right? And so we're like so happy. Every lunch, I would go find him and we would play like, um, we would play football or we would throw a football around. And I was just like so happy. But then uh, I got sick a lot in elementary school. So I spent another month at home like nursing um, one of my asthma attacks or whatnot. And then when I came back, I was, like, really excited to play with him. But then Michael, like, told him, like, if he played with me, then he wouldn't have any other friends. And so he told me he couldn't play with me anymore. And um, I remember super sad moment. I couldn't put the – I was going to put a picture of Polly Pocket on the screen, but it got really real. So I remember Polly Pocket came out, and there was, like, these commercials. And I didn't know it was a girl's toy. It's, like, this little girl that lives in, like, this little house that you could keep in your pocket, Right. And so I really wanted a Polly Pocket so I could have a friend at school, you know? And of course, it could have led to, like, schizophrenia and other things. But, but um, you know, I was, like, telling my mom, like, can you buy me a Polly Pocket? And she said no, because it's a girl's toy. And so I didn't even have Polly. And so, that, so I spent most of uh, my years in elementary school pretty much alone. Um, and actually, a lot of it was like, hey, Jesus, let's hang out again. And he'd be like, okay. So we hung out a lot. I wonder, you know, when you think about your life, is there a bully or is there an enemy or is there someone who you hold a grudge against? Someone when you think about, you just kind of have these fantasies of like hurting them or bad things happening to them directly or indirectly by you. Or maybe, maybe you're not that explicit, but you're just kind of like, man, I'm just kind of done with them. You know, like, I, I'm not going to care for them anymore. Or maybe when you talk about them, they're just all bad. They're the villain. They have no other dimensions to their humanity, humanity you know. And 
or, or maybe you've just kind of labeled them and dismissed them. Like they're crazy or they're not loyal or they're a gossiper or they're fake. So I think we all kind of have someone in mind. And honestly, it could be this elementary school bully, but for most of us, it's probably our husband, our wife, our, our parents, our brother, our sister, our coworker, someone in the room, you know, because those are the people that have access to hurting us in uh, even more uh, deep, deep ways and vulnerable ways. And so if there's someone on your heart this morning or um, if there's a few names that pop up, I would love for you to just kind of sit back a little bit and write it on the piece of paper uh, with the pen that's on your seat. And um, maybe some of us are like, this piece of paper is too small. And I have a list of people and um, I need like 15 pages. Well, just pick the top two or three um, and borrow your neighbor's paper. And then uh, if you would like to, or if you can, then after you write the name, go ahead and talk to like one or two people around you. Um, And please don't point if they're in the room. But uh, honestly though, if they're a part of our community, which some of you guys are like, no, seriously, they're in the room. Um, just be as vague as you can, right? So we're trying to do this without gossiping about someone someone else knows. Um, but yeah, I would love for you guys to kind of sh- share about uh, this person. Okay, so put the name on a piece of paper. Go ahead and share with the people next to you. Um, and then I'll come back in three minutes. All right, thanks for sharing, everyone. I'm like debating whether or not to do that open, like, you know, share a story time, but I think I'll skip it. We have a lot of things to go through today. (laughs) I'm a little scared, to be honest. I'm a little scared. Um, Looking at this passage, if you have your Bibles, you could turn there with me. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. If you have your Bibles, you could go ahead and turn to that. If you have one of the Renew Bibles, it's on page 1034. All right. Um, I just kind of want... Because we've, we've heard some of these phrases before, especially if we've been to church for a long time. And I hope that we can stand in awe of how difficult it is today. Because when we hear love your enemies, it can just kind of be something we gloss over. But when we think about our specific enemy or bully or someone who's hurt us, it becomes really hard. And so I just kind of want, as we read this passage, again, Romans chapter 11, or chapter 12, verse 17, I want us to stop and think about how difficult each one of these phrases are, how impossible they feel, okay, as you contextualize it with one of the people you shared about, or maybe a person you didn't share about because it was, it was too difficult to even, even say their name. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with anyone, everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but evil overcome evil with good. Can you just identify like 
one of these statements where you're just, okay, I surrender. Like, I can't actually do this. It looks really hard. To say, I'm going to feed and serve my enemy. To say that instead of doing evil to them, I'm going to do good. To find peace with someone that we hate. I think those are all impossible statements. And honestly, when I look at the totality of my life, there probably isn't a more difficult task, a more difficult command from the Lord than to forgive. I don't think there's anything harder than that in life. Um, And yet this passage really goes beyond forgiveness. In uh, In one of the earlier earlier verses, it says, bless instead of curse. Not to do evil, not to take revenge, but to give water, to give bread, to do good. When I look at people who have wronged me, or when you think about the names and faces in your head, and you're staring them down, I would say that there's absolutely no reason for you to forgive them. When it's just you and this person, why would you forgive anyone, right? They basically owe you a debt. If someone's wronged you, they owe you a debt. And either if they're your enemy, if they're someone you don't care about, you kind of want to hurt them back so they feel the same pain you feel, multiplied by 100, right? That's how most of my fantasies go. It's not, it's not equal. When I really step back and be objective, I'm like, oh, that's actually worse than what they did to me. Um, or if there's someone you care about, you, they owe you something and they have to pay you back. They have to be extra kind or they have to do extra housework. You know, that's how I pay back debts to Nina. I swift, you know, for, for forgiveness. Uh, well, swift for forgiveness. Um, but I think what, what compels us to forgive is to take a step back and to look again at how Romans chapter 12 starts. It doesn't start with loving our enemies. It doesn't start with not doing evil, but doing good. It starts with chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. This therefore is um, this throwback to Romans 1 through 11 and all the theology that is parsed and put in front of us. This, This scandalous gospel where we as sinners who deserve death and condemnation and judgment for our sins, instead receive mercy. And, and that's what Paul, how Paul sums up 1 through 11, right? It says, in view of God's mercy. That's how he sums up 1 through 11 of Romans. Look at the mercy of God and therefore do all of these other things. So when I see the person who's wronged me, there's no reason to forgive. But Paul's saying, no, don't look at that person. Put your eyes on Jesus. Have your eyes on him. He's the reason why you forgive. If I stare down Michael, I have no reason to forgive him. He's never asked for an apology in the last 15 years. But if I have my eyes on Jesus... I start thinking about the thousands of times I've asked him to forgive me. And then the hundreds of thousands of times he's just forgiven me. I think about 
the darkness of my sin against other people and against him. And the way that he allows my sin to be wiped away, you know, it was as scarlet, but now it's as white as snow. He separates my sin as far as the east is from the west, that whenever I confess, he is faithful to forgive me, that kind of forgiveness. And when I see that, when I focus on that, then I look at my brother and sister who forgave me, and and if I have a correct view of my evil, if I have a correct view of, of the punishment I deserve and the mercy that God extends, and then I look at my brothers and sister, they start to shrink the thing that they've done becomes smaller, become less significant. And I think about my sacrifice in forgiving them and how I didn't have to die for them. I didn't have to shed blood for them, although some of us may. But here, Paul says, remember Jesus have a view of God's mercy, and then don't conform to the pattern of this world. The world says, take revenge. The world says, if someone does something evil, get even, right? Revenge is a dish best served cold from uh, Kill Bill, I think, and many other movies I've seen. And there's a celebration when someone does evil to like overpower them with revenge. And yet, he says that that's how the world thinks, we're supposed to think different. Here's how we're supposed to think. That instead of repaying evil for evil, we don't. And it says in verse 18, as, as if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So on your end, you're supposed to make every effort to make peace. And I think a lot of times our pride stops us from that. We've already tried, but, and I'm not trying again. She's cut me off, and I'm not going to extend another olive branch. right? They've said this about me, and instead of having a sit-down, eyeball and eyeball conversation, I'm just going to be cold to them at church. I'm just going to gossip about them and tell everyone else about their business. No, it says, as far as it depends on you, if you can make any effort to make things right, you're supposed to. And I wonder if we've been willing to live that out. Don't take revenge by savoring those words. And and yet there's this profound sense where God is calling us to trust him. And that's difficult with the people who have hurt us. Right? God says, hey, surrender your life to me. That's what verse 1 and 2 is. Surrender your mind. Surrender your body to the Lord. That's your true and spiritual act of worship. And I think for me, okay, God, here's my life. Here's my gifts. Here's my talents. Here's my family. Here's my future. Finances are a little harder, but sure, I'll give that up. But I wonder when we think about the people on these pieces of paper, do we have them gripped in our hands? Are they for us to control and to take revenge on? Or have we trusted God with them too? That's what verse 19 is about. Have we released these people to the Lord and say, Lord, the debt that they owe me and the pain that I've been inflicted and the hurt that I felt, 
I'm going to give to you as well. I'm releasing them to you. And then Paul commands us to do the opposite. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I don't know if you've ever got to experience this, but when you're angry at someone, when you want to hurt someone, and if you, I mean, this, you don't, probably won't come across this many times in your life, they are still kind to you. There's something that is tormenting about that. You're in deep conflict. And I think one of the most kind of transforming aspects of me and Nina's marriage over this year is, kinda, is learning how to extend the olive branch. I mean, our marriage is not perfect, but I've seen, I've seen her do this with me, and it's humbling. Where I want to pick a fight, I want to get mad, I want to withdraw, and she says, hey, like, let's be friends. And I've learned to do that with her as well. And as we like throw darts at each other, we've gotten pretty good at dodging and spin roll and like, you know, swim move and saying, hey, like, let's, let's, let's make things right. Um, I mean, it's not like we never fight. It's not like I can al- she can always spin out of the way. <laughs> I just want to tackle her sometimes. But I've, I've been able to see Nina gift this to me and bring me into repentance. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I feel like that's something Dumbledore would say to Harry Potter, right? Um, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and there's a, this is a profound statement. It's saying that when you're able to apply verse 17 to 20 onto your enemies, you may, be ov- you may be able to overcome evil with good. Let me give you an example of this. Um, we were hanging out at my friend's house, and there was this really angry Asian man that lived next door. And my friend, who I grew up with, uh, she's a close friend of mine, and she was dating uh, one of my closest friends at the time, and he went to another college. And I said, hey, like, I'm committed to, like, protect you on campus because we went to UCI together. And I said, you know, my friend can't drive over to like pick you up if it's late or walk you to your car. But I said, even if you call me at 3 a.m., I will show up and I will like do it on behalf of my friend. And, and one day she calls me at 3 a.m. And I, and I pick her up and drive her home. Um, so I'm, I feel very protective of her, if you will. Like I, I you know, like my best men uh, who gather gra- around me, which he was one of them, I told him, I told them that I would make a commitment to them and their families. Like if they ever passed, their families would always have a room in my house, would always have dinner at my table. Like we're brothers, okay? And she's, she's adopted in as a sister of mine. So she's sharing about how this age, angry Asian man next door keyed her car from bumper to bumper because he, she parked right in front of his house, not on the driveway, but just on the parking lot, and how he's done just really terrible things to, like, harass her. And across the street, there's this other woman. She lives by herself with kids, and he's, like, slashed her tires. Um, According to her, he's cut her her brakes 
uh, while she was at a library. I mean, just like growth, just evil, right? A villain. And so me and my friends, we're getting angry, uh, like really angry. And so we're going back to like Tupac and Biggie, you know, and like Death Row Records. I grew up on that. And we're like, dude, let's jump this guy. You know, let's jump him. Let's park our car in front of his house. When he comes out to Kia, we're just going to beat him down. All right, I got a little excited, so <laughs> just trying to reenact my ungodly days. And, um, and like, yeah, so anyways, we were thinking about doing this. And then someone else in the group, it was like mixed company, right, uh, was like, wait, we're Christians. Like, we should share the gospel with them. I was like, no, but not no, other words. And other people said no. And um, let, me, let me give you two alternate universes, right? We parked the car in front of his house. He comes out. And we just beat him to the ground. But he, you know, no permanent damage. <laughs> we don't break his legs, right? But he learns his lesson, all right? And we tell him, it's because you scratched up our friend's car and you cut her brakes and there's like justice in there. Um, and also I get to punch someone, which is awesome. And I think about that universe, which didn't happen. Please don't call the police or get up and leave. And I think about how even, let's say we beat him, <laughs> beat him down. I wonder what goes on in his heart. I wonder if the next day he'll wake up and be like, I want to be a better person. I just got jumped. <laughs> they told me why. I'm not going to hurt my family. Like, I'm going to be more kind. Like, that would never happen, right? Evil makes and breeds more evil. Like, his heart would actually become more evil. He would be more hateful, more angry. And even if it stopped him from keying cars, he would, his soul would be darker and he would look for other ways to be violent. And our souls would be darker too. You would have a pastor who beat up an old Asian guy, you know? And, and I wonder what kind of violence that would invoke in me and my friends. But then there's this other scenario where we show up at his door and we say, hey, even though you keyed our friend's car, we want, you to, we want to be kind to you. We want to stop by your house and give food to your family and bake cookies and wash. What if we stopped and washed his car? And he was just mesmerized by love. And then we said, there's this God who loves you, who forgives you, who can take your heart that is bitter and angry and make it good. What a powerful statement, verse 21. What a powerful way to impact the world. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He's a classic uh, missionary. His wife and his child, Jim Elliott. If you haven't heard his story, he was in Ecuador um, to minister to the most violent recorded people group on earth. Um, this tribe that was, had very little contact with the Ecuadorian people. They lived isolated. But as anthropologists uh, studied them, they logged that they had a 70% homicide rate. 
meaning that seven out of your family and friends will die because they were killed, murdered. They were actually starting to go extinct because of the brutality that was in their community. When they studied their language from top to bottom, there was zero words for forgiveness. They didn't have vocabulary for it. Zero words for I'm sorry. Zero words to apologize with. Jim Elliott and five friends, missionaries, decided to go in and share the gospel with this tribe of people. They carried guns with them in order to fend off wild animals. And they knew about their violence. And they said, if we get in a, if we get in a situation, we're, gonna, we're committing not to use these guns on these people, but we might shoot it into the air and hopefully they disperse. They make contact. A few days later, they were martyred in the most gruesome ways um, for their faith and to share the gospel. A few years, as their, as their families heard about it, they grieved. I mean, can you imagine leaving a baby and your wife and five, four other women, four other families? And I just imagine their process of grieving. I imagine them being able to get to forgiveness, these women, and then to pray and actually bless and long for the salvation of this tribe. I don't know how they got there except for the gospel, except for seeing Jesus on the cross, except for putting their eyes not on these murderers, but on their Savior. And then one day, Elizabeth Elliot and one of the other missionary wives says, we want to go back and share the gospel to these, this tribe. That somehow their forgiveness and their prayers to bless instead of curse, to overcome evil with good, move them so that she's bringing her toddler son into the jungles of Ecuador with another woman, woman to reach these people. They shared their story, and this tribe is floored. And maybe they didn't have the word for forgiveness, but they saw it in these women whose men and husbands they murdered, going back to serve them, going back to share the gospel with them. This tribe becomes, there's a revival there. The majority of them become Christian. Their homicide rate plummets. And they receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And again, in the most profound way, I think about this verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And it just starts with forgiving. I think about my journey of forgiving Michael, and I just allow my first step into forgiveness not to be about Michael, but to be about Jesus. To sit with my depravity before him, my shame, my guilt, and to say, wow, you died for me. And you've forgiven me of my worst moments. A thousand times, a hundred thousand times, 
And then to say, God, as I forgive Michael, let it not be something that my feelings are driving because your feelings will never drive you to forgive. But let it be a decision I make. I decide to forgive him today. And then to recognize that it's a process. You know, I decided to forgive Michael like a thousand times through 10 years. I literally, every time I heard a sermon about forgiveness, I have to make another decision. But in year one, it was difficult and I battled and I fought emotions and I forced these words out of my mouth. And by the 10th year, I can just freely say, Jesus, I forgive Michael. And then year 11, I stopped having to say it. I do want to respect that it was a 10-year process. Forgiveness doesn't depend on the other person. You can forgive without them ever apologizing. I never saw Michael after fourth grade, fifth grade. And I think when we really forgive someone, it means that we can bless them. You know, this angry Asian man is our parents, is our son, is our daughter, is our neighbor, is our husband and wife. This angry Asian man is our coworker, is someone in this room. And we can say either we can jump him or her with insults, avoiding them, holding grudges, and allow more evil to spiral into their soul and into ours, or we can live out the gospel in view of God's mercy and forgive. Um, I got this text. I, I remember I hadn't talked about Michael for a long time. And uh, one, a, a girl in our congregation came up to me a, f- a few months ago and shared about how hard it was for her to forgive someone. And I shared this story again. And it, was, it was years before, um, before I've been able to revisit his story. And I shared with her about process and about forgiveness being a choice. And the funny thing is, the next day I get this text. It says, hi, this, is this Pastor Wilson Wang? And I said, yep. And he said, Pastor Wilson, did you grow up in Diamond Bar and attend Evergreen Elementary School? If you did, then I owe you an apology. I know. Thanks. Thanks, Eugene. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, why? Who is this? Wilson, my name is Michael Castaneda. We were friends in elementary school. Then I bullied you. I wanted to apologize. I remember that you were a Christian that loved Christ as a kid. I was so happy to see that you became a pastor when I searched your name on Google. I was not a Christian and didn't know Christ or his word, but I have known it for a while now. It's good to have found you. Hopefully you can forgive me. Wow. Thanks for connecting with me, man. I do forgive you and appreciate how you've reached out to me. Crazy how many years it's been. Hope you're doing well. Are you still in LA? I got to hear his testimony, how he came to faith at 29, his family background. His dad um, is passing soon, and I got to pray for him, send him my regards, and then I said, Hey, I'm preaching about forgiveness this Sunday. I'd like to share your story. 
and your text, I was go going to give you a fake name. He says, sure, no need to use a fake name. Use my real name. It's a good thing for people to hear. And I said, thanks, bro. Bad time to drop the clicker. Um, I just think about how the gospel was meant for that. And today, I would love, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I come early and I just pray for us. I'm like, man, God, <laughs> what would it look like for us to forgive today? I know that's asking for something really big. For some of us, it's asking for something nearly impossible. I want to recognize that there's some deep pain here. And you, some of you have gone through things that I can't even put words to. But I wonder what it would be like to pray for each other and say, God... Help me to decide to forgive. Or today I decide to forgive this person and to release them. To trust Christ. And then as we do that, I would love to invite us to go to the communion table together as family. And to remember again that we don't forgive because we're great people or because we're kind, but we forgive because Christ has forgiven us. He has forgiven us. His blood was spilt for us. The wine is a representation of that. His body was broken for us. And as we take communion, we, I hope that it would be humbling. I hope that we would feel small I hope that the grace of God would feel great. And I hope that we would then, as we pray, Father, forgive us our debts. We would also release the debt of our brother and sister at the communion table. That we would take that piece of paper and we would just leave it with the blood of Christ and his body broken for us and for them. God, we just come to you, and I know that some of us have held on to these names for years, that they've been our, in our hand, twisted and crumpled. I pray today, Lord, that we would release our family members, our children, our parents, our husband and wives, our siblings. I pray that today we would release our friends, our family from this church, our coworkers, our bullies. I pray that today we would release our enemies at the foot of the cross as we remember your forgiveness, as we feel small at your cross. As we take in the debt that you've paid for us and, 
And then the debt that others owe us might become a little less. I just want to invite you this morning to pray the simple prayer over your friend, over your non-friend, over the person you hate, um, to pray, Jesus, today I choose to forgive the name of the, that person for whatever they've done. So Jesus, I choose to forgive Michael for bullying me. Who's your Michael? What did they do? Could you just pray that? If you're willing to. All right, and I also just want to invite you to be in your small groups today and pray for each other and take communion together. We're going to give you a good five minutes um, to be in your groups because um, I just really think if we can just pray for each other on this, and I know it's hard, that God will heal us through our brothers and sisters, through their words and through their prayers, and God will heal us as we take the sacraments this morning, as we literally take on his blood and his body broken for us, sacrificed for us, that we would say, God, I want to do the same. I want to take on the pain and the debt for someone else. You took my huge debt and you paid for it, and now I want to pay for the debt of someone else. And it will feel like death, and it will feel like suffering, but imagine being able to suffer as your Savior did. Imagine being able to emulate Jesus in the most intimate way of forgiveness. Please go ahead and um, pray for each other. God, we just come to you, um, and we thank you for being the first one to overcome evil with good. We thank you for the fir- being the first one to not collect debt or take revenge, even though you have the power to, but instead to use your power to forgive and to sacrifice and to be broken, to pay our debt. That when you said it is finished, it meant paid in full. God, as you pay our debt, as you pay our enormous debt with your son, and his life, I pray that we would pay the debt of others as well. I pray that this morning we would all decide to forgive someone, to release someone to you. That in the same way we've been forgiven, I pray that today we would forgive someone in our lives. In Jesus' name. You can still take communion. We're going to move into worship.